Apostle Paul, writing to a church in Philippi many years ago, said this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. What a comfort it is to hear those words. Now I would like to address the subject by pointing out a very few simple, straightforward but fundamental spiritual and biblical concepts. And the first book that I found some help when looking at this matter in is a book in the Bible called 2 Corinthians. And I'm just going to read a short section from that book and I'm going to read from chapter 11 beginning at verse 23. And this is where a very famous Bible writer called the Apostle Paul talks about the troubles he has had to face in life as he travelled around telling people about Jesus Christ. So we're quoting the words of Paul here and he says, I have worked much harder, I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. And I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have constantly been on the move. I have been in dangers from rivers, dangers from thieves and bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, as well as being in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city and in danger in the country, in danger at sea and in danger from false believers. I have laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have also been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily pressure for my concern for all the churches. That's quite a catalogue of trial that he's going through, isn't it? Now the first point, having read that, I think we can see, we can take from that straight away, that no one, no one is exempt from suffering in this life. Not even a man of great faith like the Apostle Paul. The truth of the matter is we live in a broken world. And the trials and the troubles and the stress and the pressure is just part of everyday life for most people. Nobody is exempt, whether you're a Christian or otherwise. So I want us to try and see together if there's any help to be found in these words contained here. And I want to particularly look at this passage along with a few others and approach it from the context and in the context in which they were written. You see, Paul had both friends and enemies at Corinth, the place where the church he is writing to is based. And he wants to make the point that he's gone through more even than they have in suffering when serving the Lord. And that's why he goes through this long list of sufferings, the things he has endured in the process of serving the Lord. And those who know the history of the church will know, of course, that ultimately Paul becomes a martyr for his commitment to Christ. So I just want to look at that passage, revisit it again, and do a quick survey of the list of trials and tribulations that he, he listed in it. He talks about being beaten excessively and thrown into prison. 
We know from, from the Bible that he was imprisoned at least four times, once in Jerusalem, twice in Rome, and somewhere else also. And he tells us here that he, he had received five beatings, where he had received 40 stripes minus one, as well as being beaten three times with a, ro- a rod, and he even refers to the fact that he was even stoned by a mob on one occasion. Now when he says he was whipped 40 times minus one, this is because the Old Testament law of that time said you could not be given more than 40 lashes in a single uh, punishment. So rather than break the law, they would always stop at 39. So what this telling is telling us, he's been given the maximum number of stripes permitted under the religious law of the time. But he also talks about being beaten by the rod three times. And experts tell us that these, what he's referring to here is a Roman punishment. So it appears he was not only beaten by the Jews, but by the Roman civil authorities also. The stoning he mentioned was probably not a religious punishment, but it was probably the result of an angry mob. He talks about making dangerous journeys. He talks about being shipwrecked three times and also having to spend a night and a day, I would assume, floating in the open sea. He talks about facing danger in the city and danger in the countryside. In fact, he mentions eight different dangers concerning his travel in this passage. It seems like for Paul, life seemed like one problem right after another. And on top of that, he's in constant danger from those who make false accusations against him. He talks about being weary from his effort, his toil, and not sleeping at night, and even being hungry and thirsty, and sometimes even finding himself cold and naked. The word translated weariness means to work to the point of collapse. In serving the Lord, he says there were times when he was so hungry and thirsty, and that he suffered physically so much, that he almost came to the point of physical collapse. But it's not just physical suffering that he talks about. He refers to the fact that of his emotional struggles as well. Because he describes a deep concern for the people in the churches, many of which he founded, and to now which he had a role as pastor and minister. When other Christians stumbled or messed up, it clearly affected him very deeply. Now all I'm doing is, by looking at this in the context, is saying... Quite clearly, it must be obvious to us, there is suffering in the world, and none of us are exempt, not even the Apostle Paul. But perhaps this also tells us that when we look through the lens of Paul's experience, then things in some respect for us might take on more of a balance, or maybe even pale in significance in comparison to what he went through. I'm reminded of the story of a young soldier he was in the trenches during World War I, and bullets were flying overhead and shells bursting around, and he was calmly waiting for the order that he knew was coming very soon that he would have to go over the top. He'd had no meal for weeks, so he was pleased when they handed him a letter, but his disappointment was obvious when he opened it, and the letter was from a business establishment in his hometown. And the letter read, I quote, your account is overdue to the tune of two pounds and five shillings. If the full balance is not paid within seven days, then you will find yourself in serious trouble. Understanding that, that even someone like Apostle Paul himself went through such profound trials needs to be part of our spiritual arsenal of weapons 
when we confront a great trial like this in life. Paul wrote at the beginning of this letter by way of introduction to the themes he was going to unpack and it later said this, I don't want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so much so that we were despised of life itself. So even Paul has experienced such profound difficulties. Now you may be thinking this all sounds very pessimistic to you, but we've got to look at this realistically. We've got to deal with the reality before we can even begin to do anything else. If the Word of God doesn't help people with these real-life situations and the things that they face, then it has no real value. Don't think just because you're a Christian it can't happen to you. Because look, it happened to the Apostle Paul and it can happen to us. He writes here that at times he actually felt crushed and defeated. I asked at the very beginning of this section, when things are really bad, where is God in all of this? I've had people say to me just this week, what does the Bible say about this? What are the answers? Well, I'm going to go into a lot more detail on some of the practical things that the Bible says we can do to mitigate against such hard times. But the thing I want to say first when looking at the individual details of what we're going through, be aware of any people who claim to have all the answers. There are situations in life we just do not understand. There are situations... In my own life, I have never understood. But let me give you a verse, a verse that thinks helps. If you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. Deuteronomy 29.29 Deuteronomy 29.29 is a verse that ought to become part and parcel of our spiritual repertoire through these difficult times. Because it tells us this. Secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. In other words, what it's saying, there are things that God has not revealed to us. We can't know everything it's telling us. Some things are only known to the Lord. As a person, as a man, as a pastor, there have been times in my life when I've had to say, I don't know why this has happened. I don't know why this is happening. I can't explain what you in, to you what you individually might be having to go through at this moment. I can't explain why all these factors have come together for me at this point in my life. But I can share with you some biblical concepts and I can tell you that there are things that we should all know. There are thumbs, some aspects of this we may never know the answer to this side of eternity, but there are certain principles we can most definitely know. Some of you who know the Old Testament will know there's a great book in the Bible with an amazing illustration of suffering in the story of a man called Job. Now it's a long story. It's over 40 chapters long. And in the first couple of chapters, Job is seen to lose everything. His children, his possessions, and even the support of his wife. And at that point, Job seems to have nothing left. I think it's interesting that it puts the support of his wife as the climax, almost the last straw in the the trial that he faces. By the way, did I mention that he had boils all over his body and they were painful? So he was not only suffering physically and, and financially, he was suffering medically as well. And he loses everything. 
And he shouts out, in fact, when he shouts out and cries out to God, he uses legal language of the day. And he says, in a sense, I want justice. I'm innocent, Lord. I want my day in court. At the end of chapter 2, his friends show up, and there's three of them to begin with. And these three friends speak, and when they speak to him, they all say pretty much variations of the same thing. They kind of say, Job, the problem is you're a sinner, they say. If you'd not sinned, these things wouldn't have happened to you. That seems a very simplistic view of things. Job declares his innocence. The next time round, there's only two of them come to speak to him, but it's still the same message. They're kind of implying, they're saying it's your fault, and if you just recognise that, you wouldn't have had these problems. A fourth friend even comes along, and he has a very different twist on this, but Job still doesn't get any comfort out of what he says. He just wants to know what's going on and where is God in this situation. 36 chapters later, which means we're now in chapter 38. So the first two books of the Bible is an introduction and sets the scene. And now for 36 chapters we've witnessed everything fall apart for Job. And a list of friends come along and offer him all sorts of half-baked advice. And then finally, in chapter 38, God speaks. Do you want to hear what God had to say to Job about his suffering? Well, for the next two chapters... God simply asks Job questions. It's quite remarkable. God asks one question right after another. There are 72 questions in a row, one after the other. So instead of giving Job an answer, an answer to the reasons for the struggles and trials in his life, God just asks him questions. Let me give you one of those questions, the first of those questions. And here it is, chapter 38, verse 4. Here's the question God asks. Are you ready? He says, where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? The question is, where were you when I created all of this? Wow, God does not feel obligated to give Job an answer. In essence, he's just saying, Job, you need to know, you need to trust that I know what I'm doing. I created all of this. I'm sovereign. I know what's going on. So my point is, God will not always give us an answer. We sometimes just have to trust in him. And maybe, just maybe, that's the key for all of this in this situation we face. And maybe, just maybe, that's what we have to do. That's the key to understanding what we have to do in this situation. Both Job and the Apostle Paul, at one point, both thought they were going to die. You see, sometimes God lets an overwhelming problem come into our lives to remind us we cannot trust in ourselves. Rather, we just have to trust in him. We may come across situations in our life, and I feel we're at one of those crossroads today, where we don't have all the answers. We might not ever even get to know all the answers. Looking around the UK and the world today, many of us are going through the most difficult trial right now. Someone you love or you yourself may indeed be very ill. Maybe you're faced with financial collapse or the loss of a job or perhaps even bankruptcy. And as I said before, Christians are not exempt from these trials. But the good news is, the good news is we can trust in a God who will see us through. In fact, some of us of us going through this, it will be the key point that would, will enable us to finally learn to trust in him. 
He says we should not trust in ourselves. God is telling us through this, this trial, I believe, that we should not trust ourselves, but rather trust in him. The Apostle Paul actually wrote and said he thought at one point he was going to die. He talked about facing possible destruction. But look what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. He said, He has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope and he will, that he will continue to deliver us. Paul is saying, look, I'm just going to trust God because he is the one who has the power, the power even to raise someone from the dead. That's an Easter sermon right there. God has the power to raise from the dead. So if you're facing what looks like the death of your bank account, the death of your job, maybe even the loss of your house or your health, remember we serve a God who will deliver us. He will deliver us. He has done it in the past and he's going to do it in the present and the future. But having said all that, there's one final little interesting twist which he says. And I'd like you just to listen to this because I think it's very important. This is a really important part of this because he adds this in the following verse, verse 11. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So he says, look, God is going to deliver us. And in my case, he's going to deliver me through your prayers. So that's really interesting. We don't live in isolation. Like I said at the beginning, we are not alone in this. God does not intend that we live in isolation. He intended that we pray for each other and that we care for one another. Paul says, I'm going to be delivered and part of that delivery will, because, will be because you are going to pray for me in my circumstances and I'm going to pray for you in your circumstances. Someone once says the quickest way to help people get back on their feet is for us to get on their knees. We need to pray, and we need to pray especially for those facing dire situations at this time. When it seems that God has allowed something seemingly overwhelming problem to come into our lives without giving us the answer, we need to pray. What I can tell you for sure is that he can teach us to trust him regardless of the circumstances. Now I think that's a good message at any time of the year. These concepts, these biblical concepts need to be part and parcel of the way we think. We need to think biblically. I want to close by making two, ra two rather simple points. The one thing I want to do is to urge believers everywhere to reach out and pray for specific situations that you may know. We'll only be able to pray generally at the end of this podcast at this time, but if we get feedback and prayer requests we will be able to to pray for one another more effectively. But what can you do? You can pray for people. You can call someone and ask how they're doing. Paul says we need that he needed them to pray for him. We need to pray for each other and we need to be in touch with each other. I'd like to say if you're facing dire circumstances, if you're facing the emptying of your bank account, the loss of your job, your house or your business, you need to trust the Lord. If you're struggling with the he your help, you need to trust the Lord. Does that mean he's going to solve it? You know what? 
I don't know about the practicalities. He didn't deliver Paul from all his troubles. He let him go through them so that he could teach him something. But I do know this. It is in your best interest that you pray and hand those troubles over to the Lord. Because then he can take you through them and you can know victory. So the point I simply want to make today is that you need to trust in God. So when you think things are spinning out of control, remember he's in control. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? God asked Job and he's asking us today. He's in control, friends. He has a purpose. He may deliver you and you may need to go through more strife, but he has a purpose through this current crisis for all of us. And Lord willing, I'm going to talk about this in much more detail next week and where we give us some of the the tools, the armour that we have to deal with these most difficult times. So one final biblical truth for you to take away from with all of this. Many of you from childhood, you know, I'm sure, are familiar with the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Chapter 3 of Daniel, it's an amazing story that talks about facing trouble, facing great adversity. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had created a giant idol and insisted everyone bow down to it, and everyone did except these three young men. They said, no, we serve the Lord. We're not going to bow down to that false idol. This was very serious for them because in essence, Nebuchadnezzar said, you either do this or I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And you know what they said? They said, go ahead, throw us in, for God will deliver us. But there were some other words added to this that people often miss, and they were three other words. They said this also, but if not, those three Hebrew young men, children really, just children, said, I will go in the fiery furnace and God will deliver us. But if not, I'll go in anyway. I'm going to trust the Lord no matter what happens, they said. I'm going to trust the Lord no matter what you allow to come into my life, they said. I think you'll deliver me, but if you don't, I'm still going to trust you anyway. That's the kind of faith that God wants to develop in us. And that is at least part of the answer we need to take from this time of crisis. Amen.